If you will indulge me one more time, please, Psalm 19, and let me cover the last two verses. I promise you we'll move on later. But, man, I got my guns loaded, and I just love the Word of God. And I really mean this. I don't know of any passage that just glorifies the Word of God quite like Psalm 19. We begin reading this morning in verse 10 through the end of the chapter on why I need and why I love the Word of God. Remember we said this morning that the Word of God is what? It is valuable. Can I ask you this tonight? How much does the Word of God mean to you? Well, they asked David that. He said, it's valuable to me because I desire that more than gold. Much gold. Yea, then fine gold. He said, in fact, I love it so much, it's not just like gold, but it's sweeter than honey. And honey out of the comb. David said, of all the things I've ever owned and all the things I've ever done, the Word of God means more to me. And can anybody get an amen to that right there? Of everything we've ever owned and everything we've ever done, the Word of the Lord is valuable to us. And then we closed out with number two, the Word of God is vital. Remember, there are some things that only the Word of God can do for us. And if we're going to be fortified and blessed and strengthened and cleansed, we've got to have the Word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. One of the great ways to study your Bible is to look at something for the very first time you see it in the Scripture. Usually when you see something for the very first time in the Bible, it sets a stage and there will be characteristics that will show up every time. And in Genesis chapter number 3, you got the first attack of Satan on mankind. When the devil invaded the Garden of Eden and his first attack on mankind... You'll see where it happened. You said, well, he attacked the family. He sure did. He attacked the husband and the wife. You better believe it. He sure did. And I'm telling you tonight, the devil's working overtime to bust up families on every hand. But the number one thing that the devil attacked the first time he launched the powers of hell on this world, he attacked the mind of Eve. And then he attacked the word of God. Half God said, half not God said. And just remember this, anytime the devil quotes scripture, he's not going to get it right. And I believe we got an attack on the word of God like never before. And these are not God's suggestions. These are God's commandments. And it's more than a word from God. It is the word of God. And the Bible does more than contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. But I want to finish our study tonight in verse 13 and verse number 14. And we've seen that the Word of God is valuable and we've seen the Word of God is vital. But I want to leave you tonight with this study, with this point right here. The Word of God is not only vital, the Word of God is not only valuable, but listen now, 
The word of God is victorious. Say that with me again tonight. The word of God is victorious. I believe the reason why so many Baptists or Christians or church people, whatever, live a defeated life. Ladies and gentlemen, the power of personal victory lies within the word of God. Let me read the rest of verse number 13 and 14 and show you how tonight and what areas there is in victory in the Word of God. We dealt with this briefly this morning. Verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. And we ended this morning with that horse that is determined to break and run and guide the rider into trouble. But that bridle and that bit holds him back. And let me just say this tonight. If you are perfect and you have arrived and you don't ever have no bad thoughts or sinful temptations or tendencies, hallelujah, God bless you, pray for the rest of us. You say, Brother Joe, I have you to know I live above sin. Do you have an apartment over top of Hooters? You don't live above sin. You say, where do I live? You live right smack dab in the middle of the own salts of hell. You say, well, I'll tell you right now, i got convictions against certain things. You know what I've noticed about people with convictions? they always convicted about what they don't like or what they're not good at. Stuff that I like to do, they're convicted. Stuff they're doing that God ain't ever spoke to them yet. Amen. Like C.O. Roach one time was preaching to a bunch of Pharisees and he knew it. And he said, bless God, you golf players. You wicked golf players. The whole time I'm bowling, I'm going to pray for y'all. Don't you just love it when somebody said, well... Now, that's wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. I want to tell you something tonight. The Word of God makes it plain what is good and right for all of us. And if God doesn't restrain us with the Word and the Holy Spirit, all of us in this room tonight are a potential failure. I'm not proud of this tonight, but the, but the very hands that hold the Word of God and the very feet that walked into the house of God and the very voice that I'm doing my best tonight to proclaim the Word of God. If the Word of God and the Holy Ghost did not restrain us, it shudders in my shoes to know what we could be and what we would be without the Word of God operating in our life. I read this the other day at the end of the Second World War. They were going to try in a court of law one of the Germans that had been guilty of running Hitler's gas chambers. Over two million Jews were murdered in that time frame. God forbid that ever happens again in this world. But as they were bringing in this man in chains that had the blood of two million Jews upon him. 
As he walked in the courtroom, the prosecuting attorney, a Jew, looked at this monster of a man and he fainted. He hit the floor like a dead man. They postponed the trial several days to this man could, this prosecuting attorney could regroup himself. Somebody went to the hospital, a newspaper reporter, and interviewed this man and said, Sir, when this criminal, when this warmonger, when this man that was guilty of murdering over two million Jews in Hitler's gas chambers walked in the courtroom, listen to this, what about this man was so bad that it made you faint? He said, well, I'll be honest with you, it really wasn't him that made me faint. He said, I've read about this man, and I'd heard about this man, and I realized how wicked this man was. And, but when I saw this same man chained like a criminal and led into this courtroom like any other criminal, he said, it dawned on me. He's not a superman. He's not a monster from hell. He's a human being just like me. And he said, the thing that took my breath and made me pass out, I realized I could have done everything he's ever done were not for the grace of God in my life. He said, I could be that man. I could have done those crimes. And it made me faint to know that I was so weak and human and beggarly that I could have done the same thing were not for the grace of God. By the way, good old Baptist tonight, watch what you say. And watch the little sly and smart remarks when you see somebody that's caught up in the world and they're reaping the consequences of bad choices. I mean to tell you tonight, your pastor, I love you with all of my heart. But if it were not for the restraining power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, all of us are capable of doing that tonight. But I'm glad I got somebody holding me back. And it is the Word of God. You say, Brother Joe, where is their victory in the Word of God? Well, notice these verses. He said in verse number 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Number one, write this down tonight. Read it with me. Let them not have dominion over me. He said, number two, then shall I be upright. He said, and number three, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Before I deal with that, can I give you a little additive along the way? This passage, along with two other passages in the Bible, deal with what I call the progression of sin. Say that with me tonight. The progression of sin. It starts out so small, but man, it gets bigger and bigger. And if it's left unchecked and unforgiven, it will cause a lot of sorrow in our life. You say, what do you mean about the progression of sin? Well, you remember what James said. He said, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, 
And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And he's using the analogy of the birth of a child. A seed is planted, and there is a birth, and there is a progress of life to the grave. James said, when that sin enters my mind and my heart, it's conceived. And if I prune that, if I muster that, if I cultivate that, it will become just not a thought or desire. It will be a sin. And when that sin takes hold in my life, it will bring death. There is no death, there is no sin, and there is no sin where there is no conception. The progress of sin. Several months ago, I preached from Psalm 1 on the progression of sin. Blessed is the man that does what? Walketh not in the counsel of ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You say, where do you get the progression of sin? Well, he walked in it. Then he stood and he looked at it. And then finally he took his seat and became part of it. Let me tell you young people something tonight. You can't handle a little bit of it, much less a whole lot of it. Well, in our text tonight, I see again the progression of sin. Notice the last part of verse number 12. Cleanse me thou from secret fault. You say, Brother Joe, what is them secret thoughts? Them little sins and desires that lurk way down inside that wife don't know about, husband don't know about, kids don't know about, nobody but you and the devil and the Holy Ghost know about it. You say, Brother Joe, are you talking down to us? Not at all. I'm preaching to all of us tonight. Because all of us way down on the inside hmm, have some secret thoughts. I love to hear young married preachers preach on the home. Because they know absolutely nothing about it. I love people that don't have kids telling everybody how to raise them. Let me just tell you something, buddy. If you've never had a wife or a kid, you don't know nothing about it. There's a fella that made all kind of money holding seminars on how to have a family. And that bird ain't never even been married. I don't read that. I read what the Bible says. And I'm telling you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, all of us have some thoughts and some secrets and some stuff in our life that we have to battle every day. It's secret. Nobody knows about it, but it's us. It's in us. And we will be guilty of that if we're not careful. I hear people say all the time, well, I'll tell you right now, you might as well just say it to your wife as think it. You look up here at me. There's a lot of things better thought than taught. You sit down to eat her food. The worst thing you will ever say. That ain't as good as my mama's. Because you won't eat it, you'll wear it. 
Now you boys up here in the front row, you better take notes because one day you will fall in love. Some little old girl is going to smack you right upside the head. He's already got one. Amen. I love it. Woo! You say, well, you might as well say it if you think it. Listen to me. If you think your wife needs to go on a diet, don't you tell her that. If you think your wife doesn't look good that day, don't you say that. And if she says, do I look good? You claim 1 John 1, 9. By God, lie about it and get victory over it later. And one of my friends that worked with Brother Sammy Allen, I said, Clint, go ask Brother Sammy. He said, Brother Joe, here's how you deal with Sammy Allen. It's better to get forgiveness than to ask for permission. We all have them secret things. But notice what happens if we harbor that secret long enough. Notice what it becomes in verse 13. And keep back thy servant from presumptuous sin. Because as we think about it, as it stays in our mind, as it stays in our heart, we're not careful, we're going to act upon it. But notice the progression of sin. It goes from a secret thought. It goes from a presumptuous sin. And look at the last part of verse number 13. The great transgression. It started out a little secret thought. It became a presumptuous sin. Before we knew it, it was the great transgression. I don't want to scare you tonight, but I do want to be absolutely honest with you tonight. There is a difference between a secret thought, a presumptuous sin, and notice the definite article, the great transgression. You say, Pastor, what do you think that refers to, the great great transgression? It's the final sin and rebellion that cost you the anointing of God upon your life. It is the final act of rebellion that cost you God's best in your life. And I'm not trying to frighten anyone in this room, but it's the final rebellion and transgression against God that'll do more than cost you your anointing and your joy, but your life. The Bible says there is a sin unto death. I'm not going to get up here tonight and try to guess what that sin is. Because I could list a lot, name a long list of sins. And somebody in here, that wouldn't be their problem. I personally tonight think the sin unto the death is different for you and it's different for me. As far as the sin is concerned. You say, what is the sin unto death? What do you think the final act of rebellion is? Here it is. When you know what's right. You've been taught what's right. God has convicted you of what's right. Now listen to what I'm saying. But you are hell bent to do it. And one day God says. I've had enough. 
I've had enough. You say, preacher, that don't sound much like love and mercy and grace. Let me tell you something tonight. Every act of God, even its chastisement, is wrapped in the shroud of love and mercy and grace. You say, well, how do I know when I've committed that sin unto death? You did. You'll stand before God. The psalmist said, Lord, I need your word in my life because I need them secret thoughts to be cleansed. Why do you want them to be cleansed? Because I don't want them to turn into presumptuous sins. And I want to be free and forgiven from presumptuous sin because I don't want to finally step over the deadline and grieve and rebel against God to the point He takes my life and I go to a premature grave. I believe tonight Samson is a powerful example of that text. Follow him in the book of Judges. He sees a woman. And he loves a woman. And he wants a woman. And he goes unto the woman. And finally gets his hair cut in the devil's barber shop. You see, isn't it sad that he lost his vision? Boy, you better believe it. Isn't it sad that he lost his freedom? He was bound with fetters. You better believe it. Oh, Brother Joe, isn't it sad that he lost his testimony and his influence? The Samson they reverenced and feared they made sport of him. But I want to tell you what's worse than his freedom and worse than his testimony and worse than his vision. He died in the house of the wicked. I don't know about you tonight, but I don't want to die in the whole pen. I don't want to die in the land of Egypt. I don't want to die in the land of Moab. I don't want to perish in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, I'm not perfect tonight. I'm forgiven, but I'm not perfect. And yes, I have secret thoughts. Yes, I have tendencies and proneness to run away from God and and sin and make a mess of my life. All of us have that potential in us. But may all of us get on our knees tonight and say, Oh God, before I fail you the final time, before I rebel the final time, before I cross that deadline the final time, and you take my life, Oh God, hold me And if it wasn't for this book tonight, all of us would fall head in line with the world and the flesh and the devil. But thank God I got the book tonight. And there's victory in the Word of God. Three things tonight and we'll go to the house. Number one, there's victory in the Bible over the shackles of sin. Notice what he said in the text tonight in verse number 13. Lord, if you'll keep thy servant back from presumptuous sin, say it out loud with me. Let them, God, have dominion over me. Wow. You know what the word of God will give us victory over? The shackles of sin. 
one of the horrors of hunting. Now, I like to do most of my hunting at night or in the, in the evening. I, I, I don't really think there's nothing cool about getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, hugging a cold tree, freezing the death, hoping Bambi comes out. I like that Florida and that Texas hunting. 80 degrees in short sleeve shirts. You say, Brother Joe, I don't want to fight the mosquitoes. I'd rather fight the mosquitoes than all them boogers groping in the darkness. Let me tell you what I'm afraid of more than anything. Walking through the woods in the dark. Walking in a God-blessed spider web. You old timers will remember this song. I don't like spiders and snakes and that ain't. Paul, I love him. He knows the words to all of those songs. Buddy, if you've never walked in a spider web in the woods in the middle of the night and heard one of them spiders about that long under God that looks like a softball, legs that long, I mean crawlers that long, they're crawling all over you. That gives me the hemi-jimmy. Have you ever noticed how that spider web? I was hunting one day and I looked over there and across this little bush was a big old spider web. And man, I've been shooing flies and, and you can't move if you're deer hunting. And I'm sitting there like. And finally, God answered prayer. Non-Roy, that fly flew right smack dab. In the middle of that spider web. Hallelujah. Some that little fly got to flapping his wing. And the more he flapped and the more he rolled around, son, he got entangled. And then I saw it. I saw it. Coming down from the corner. And son, it wasn't long to the ancient benches. Come on now. It wasn't no ancient benches. That thing looked bigger than my fist. Son, he ate that fly. And I'm saying, go get him, tiger. Go get him, tiger. Boy, the Holy Ghost said, son, you need me in your life. You need me in your life. Because the devil and sin's got spider webs around the bend and around the corner and you're like that little innocent fly. One day you'll fly into that web and you'll try to get free and try to get free. And if somebody doesn't come by and rescue you and set you free, you'll wrap yourself up in that web and the devil will come and devour you and destroy you. By the way, the Bible still says that the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he made a vow. And let me tell every young person in this room tonight, the devil hates you and the devil despises you and he'll destroy your mind. He'll destroy your conscience. He'll wrap you up in his web, shackle you with the fetters of sin and have dominion over you. You'll be at the mercy of it. I can't go too plain in this illustration. But I know people all over metro Atlanta that I've met for the last 38 years. I really believe Kenneth Black, I miss him so bad. Kenneth Black 
made this statement to me one time. He said, the, the most terrible thing could be said about an individual or a nation or a church. It could have been. And I've seen so many people, personality, sing, preach, people's skills, had all kinds of potential. I've seen them blow it all because sin got a hold of them and it had dominion over them. I've talked to them before. I'd say, shake it off. Preacher, I can't. Preacher, it's got a hold of me. It's got me wrapped up. And you hear me tonight. The only power that will set anybody free from the shackles of sin is the blood and the power of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God. I'm glad tonight the Word of God will give you victory over the shackles of sin. You don't have to have dominion over us. There is victory over it. Victory over the shackles of sin. Notice what it said in the text. Now, Lord, tonight is there victory in the Word of God over the shackles of sin. But notice the next phrase. There's victory in the Word of God over the stain of sin. Notice how he words it in verse 13. Let them not have dominion over me. Watch this now. Then I shall be Upright, I shall be innocent. Man, sin leaves its stain, don't it? I tell young people this across America. One day you'll be 40, 50 years old and people can take boys. Listen, they'll take one look at you. And they'll be able to tell where the sins had dominion over you not. Well, it's hard to hide. In fact, you can't hide the stains of sin. Lord, I got some preaching my soul right there. But let me just give you a verse about the stains of sin. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Whoop. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. I'm glad tonight the power of the Word of God will give you victory over the stains of sin. I'm glad we can be upright. We can be innocent tonight. There is forgiveness in the Word of the living God. I've given this illustration a hundred times in the last 38 years. And one day somebody's going to get it. I hear people tell me all the time, Brother Joe, I just can't remember Scripture. I just can't remember Scripture. One of my heroes, Billy Kelly, told me this one time. He said, I can remember every joke I've ever heard, and I can't remember but one verse of Scripture. Brother, don't give up because you can't remember it all. You say, well, if I can't remember it all, what good is it going to do me? Well, remember the little story about the daddy that told the boy to take his basket and go down the creek and bring back a basket full of water. He came back and there was no water in the basket. Go back again. He sent him back five times. And Brother Mark, on that fourth time, the boy said, Daddy, my basket won't hold water. He said, it may not hold it all, but look how clean it is. 
glory. If you don't remember any scripture at all, you run enough of it through there, it'll leave you clean. I want to be upright tonight. I want to be innocent tonight. I want to be forgiven tonight. And the word of God, there's victory over the shackles of sin and over the stain of sin. We'll close with this tonight. Number three, look in the last part of verse 13. There's victory over the sorrow of sin. He said, God, if you'll cleanse me from them secret thoughts, if you'll hold me back from them presumptuous sins, God, if you'll set me free from the shackles of sin and the stains of sin, I'll be upright and I'll be innocent. And I won't have to go through the sorrows of sin. And what is that? The great transgression. I want to say this tonight. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. Young people, I could tell you tonight, there's no pleasure in sin, but I'd be lying to you. The Bible even said pleasures of sin. But you don't see the end. I was reading, up. well, I, I, and I'm sure you have too, I've been reading about this family in South Carolina. That was a prominent lawyer in the day, rich and wealthy and all of that. And he just got convicted of killing his uh, his wife and his son. And I don't know if he did. I don't know if he didn't. Neither them, and neither did them people on TV. But as I watched that family unravel to the core, you know what sin always does. It brings the same thing. Death. Death. There is consequences to sin. Young people, when you start out, the devil shows you the fun. He shows you the thrill. He shows you the pleasure. He shows you the the foyer of it. But he don't show you with your car wrapped around a tree. He doesn't show you standing over a body of a dead person that you murdered driving drunk. He don't show you yourself behind bars facing a life sentence. Young ladies, he don't show you in a hospital going through birth pains, giving birth to a baby that you're not married to their husband. You say, why did the devil do that? If he showed you an eye of the end, none of us would go after it. I was preaching in Gainesville, Georgia, sometime in this millennium. Friday night, I've had, I've had some wonderful drivers this week. Joseph drove me Thursday night, and Jerry drove me Friday night, and I had a date with Bruce last night. And after spending time with these men, their wives are on the top of my prayer list. But we were sitting in a restaurant, Jerry... I don't know where that come from. But bless God, these men don't appreciate that. And I just want to say this, fellas, if your own wife don't respect you, I don't know what you're going to do. 
We were sitting there in a restaurant, and Jerry introduced me to somebody that he's been knowing for years and said, this is my pastor, Dr. Joe Arthur. A tear, Brother Tom, welled up in her eye, and she said, we lost our pastor. We just lost our pastor. That's what she said. I said, well, did he pass away or did he resign? She said, no, we lost our pastor to an affair. We lost our pastor to an affair. We lost our pastor because he got involved in a relationship. And it cost him his life, his testimony, his ministry, his family. I want to tell you something tonight, church. When your pastor hears of that, I don't shout. I don't gloat. I know this evil, wicked heart of mine. And I know the devil would, not, would like nothing greater than to silence our voice and diminish our life. Oh, preacher, I can handle sin. No, you can't. I can handle what the devil throws at me in the flesh. You cannot handle anything that the world or the flesh or the devil sends our way. But hallelujah, I'm glad I got a book. I got a Bible. It's called the Word of God. And there's victory over the shackles of sin, over the stains of sin, and over the sorrows of sin. Let me illustrate it. We're going to the house. How many of you, every morning, every morning you do this and it discourages you? You get up and look in the mirror. When I get up, look in the mirror, this song comes to my mind. Time has made a change in me. Shannon, can I tell one on you? One day she was talking to Miss Julie and some ladies in the church and they were getting something together for some kind of event we were having and they were showing, it was my 25th anniversary or my 30th anniversary, but whatever it was. And that was a picture of me and Julie on our wedding day. And Ms. Shannon so graciously said, Miss Julie, who's that? Miss Julie, who's that? Because I was skinny. Sideburns. And that Elvis hair. And that Elvis body, man. You're going to do it big. Just do it big. And she said, Miss Julie, who is that? And she said, Shannon, that's Brother Joe when we got married. And Shannon said, like only Shannon can say, Woo, no wonder you married him. (laughs) I feel like James Brown. I feel good. Wow, time has made a change in all of us. I was in your office, Barry, right before church, and I saw that picture on the wall of your two little girls. Time's made a change in you, bud. 
Come, you ought to see how awful you look now considering what you look like when you first started working for me. I guess it's my fault. How many of you know tonight time's made a change in all of us? And I look in that mirror and I realize time's made a change. But you know, you look in that mirror and you see your hair's messed up. You look in that mirror and you see them old sleepy bubbles that's in your eyes. What do you call it? Cracklings? What do you call it? Yeah. And man, you just see where you need some attention. You don't jerk the mirror off the wall and scrub it on your face. Because the mirror is a revealer. But it's not a remover. But as you look in that mirror and it points out the imperfection, at the bottom of that mirror is a basin and some water and a cleansing agent. The mirror reveals it, but it takes the cleansing agent to remove it. Can I tell you something about our Word of God before we go home tonight? Yes, it is a revealer. Yes, it does reveal to you and I how needed we are. But I'm glad the Word of God is more than a revealer. It is the remover for the same book that shows me the imperfection has the cleansing agent to remove it out of my life. Hallelujah for the Word of God. Because the Word of God is vital. The Word of God is valuable. And the Word of God is victorious. And through the Bible, through the Word of God, there's victory over the shackles of sin and the stain of sin and the sorrow of sin. Verse 14, and we're going home. I believe that's why, in light of the power of the Word of God, the psalmist makes this statement. The law, the testimonies, the judgments, the pure, the holy, the true, converting the soul, enlightening the eyes, strengthening, rejoicing the heart, the gold, the honey, all of this is in his heart now. And that's why he could say in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. And I love these three titles. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. You know what the Word of God will do tonight? It'll introduce you to the Lord. And introduce you to your strength. It will introduce you to your Redeemer. I'm glad I know my Redeemer liveth. I'm glad tonight there's strength in the Lord. And I am glad tonight He is our God. He is our Lord. And we'll never be any more close to him than we are close to his word. We'll never know more about him till we know more about the word. As far as I know, the Bible is the only book when you read it, God's talking to you. And aren't you glad tonight that we have a Bible. That was a young man right here in Georgia getting ready to go fight for the Confederate Army many, many years ago. 
He went to the house where his mother was crying and praying and he kissed her goodbye. And she said, when I packed your bags, son, I put a little Bible in your satchel. And she said, on down the road, you're going to need comfort. You're going to need guide. You're going to need wisdom. And she said, if you'll look in your satchel, you'll find the Bible. And she said it like this, in your satchel, you'll find the Bible, my boy. It is the book of all others the best. It will teach you to live and prepare you to die and lead to the home of the blessed. Hold fast to the right. Son, hold fast to the right, wherever your footsteps may roam. And forsake not the way of salvation, my boy, that you have learned from your mother at home. Thank God for the word of God. Let's stand together tonight. My daddy told me this little story. I don't remember it. I was just a baby. And he was in the barber shop one day talking about his little boy that has just arrived. And some guys were talking about the first thing they were going to give their son. One guy said, ma'am, the first thing I want my boy to hold is a rod and reel. The first thing I want my son to hold is a shotgun. First thing I want my son to hold is a ball bat or a football. And they looked at my dad and said, preacher, what's the first thing you're going to give that little boy? He said, I've already given it to him. He just ain't old enough to hold it yet. They said, what's that, Rev? He said, I got him a little New Testament. And it's the word of God. And it's the first thing I want to hold. I want him to hold in his hand. We had my daddy's funeral right here in 2008. I called Horace Wayne. I said, is daddy ready? Yep. And I went over there by myself. And I took daddy's last Schofield Bible. I put his handkerchief in there. Job 19, though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And I walked in that little viewing room by myself and I lifted up my daddy's big old right hand and I took that Schofield under it, put his hand back. And I know daddy didn't hear me, but it made me feel better to say it. I said, daddy, the first thing you put in my hand was the word of God. And the last thing I want to put in your hand is the word of God. I'm telling you tonight, you know where we'd be without the Bible. We'd be lost and undone. But thank God for the book. Hold your Bible up real high tonight and say, thank God for the book. That right there will keep you right. That will keep you in love with Jesus. That will keep you home together, man. That will keep your life on the firing line for God. And you know what I love about the Lord? I know we got to go, but I'm in a rare form right now. You know what I love about the Lord? When we failed or when we've made a mess out of it, thank God the Word of God never fails us. Hallelujah. Woo! And there's forgiveness with the Lord.
God's word never 